Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.49 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 10th day of August 2023, and this is episode 770 of Bitcoin. And who is in the Circle P? <laughs> who is in the Circle P? I don't know. Who's, oh, I know who's in the Circle P. It's Bisnerds, otherwise known as Maple Trade. If you want to get some really good handmade maple syrup and soaps, you can go to Bisnerds. That is at B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S, Bisnerds, B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S, both on Noster and on Twitter, and you can order from him. And if you tell him that you are ordering because you heard him in the Circle P on the Bitcoin and podcast, he will cut me a little bit of Satoshis on the side. That's how the Circle P works, is bringing you value so that you can discover some products that's made by your fellow plebs, not stuff that's sold at Safeway, not stuff that you're going to walk into whole paycheck and go pick up. No, no, no. This is handmade by real actual people that are doing it for themselves. They do it because they love it. They do it because that's what they want to do and they know how to do it. And believe me, I've tried his maple syrup and it is freaking awesome. And uh, his sister, Sarah, makes some really kick-ass tallow soaps. And they last a long time. It's not like those handmade soaps that you get at like a, you know, I don't know, farmer's market and it just kind of melts away in a couple of days. No, no, no. This stuff hangs around. It's high-quality soap. Gets you nice and clean. Not overpowering on the perfume. It's some of the best soap that I've ever used. So get your maple syrup and your soap from Bisnerds. His InPub and other information will be down in the show notes. Make sure that you say that you heard him uh, from the Circle P. Now, where are we going? <clears throat> we're going to we're going to go over to Nairobi. Um, CoinDesk has this one: Amitaj Singh and Eliza Gritis, Gritsky is writing this one. Is, is it Gritsky? No, it's. Kritzi, G-K-R-I-T-S-I. Good Lord, man. I was like, there, I just have no hope in hell of pronouncing any of these people's names. Anyway, World Corn, Coin Nairobi Warehouse has been raided by Kenyan police, according to reports. Now, this was a couple of days ago, but I was on vacation again, and we just got back yesterday. So uh, just catching up a little bit in case you didn't know. Over the past few days, Kenya has had some serious issues with the folks at WorldCoin because they probably know what we all know, that WorldCoin is evil and it should have absolutely no existence whatsoever. And it looks like Kenya is trying to get rid of them. I Now, is, there's, a, there's a, a counter argument to that, which I also accept as the very real possibility, that they don't give a shit whether it's WorldCoin or Bitcoin or anything else. 
They want full and total control over their economy. They want to make sure that everybody is a slave to what it is that they want to do. I would not be surprised whatsoever. However, right now, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Let's dump into it. Kenyan police raided the Nairobi warehouse of WorldCoin on Saturday, confiscating documents and machines, according to a report. Immaculate Cassit, commissioner of Kenya's Office of the Data Protection, said Tools for Humanity, the parent company of WorldCoin, failed to disclose, it, disclose its true intentions when it registered in Kenya, according to media reports. Police took WorldCoin data to the Directorate of Criminal Investigation Headquarters for Analysis, the report said. WorldCoin was co-founded by Sam Altman, the tech entrepreneur who is the CEO of OpenAI, the company behind popular artificial intelligence tool ChatGTP or GPT. WorldCoin aims to promulgate a new way to verify that a user is human. Yeah, we get it. Verified users can receive grants of the WorldCoin token. Developers can build applications on top of this identification protocol and include a wallet where the WorldCoin token is distributed. After the project's launch in July, users could receive airdrops of the WorldCoin token in exchange for being scanned. I think you spelled scammed wrong. It is now facing trouble in Kenya. <clears throat> Quote, the officers backed by multi-agency officials went to the offices along Mombasa Road armed with a search warrant and broke in Saturday before leaving with machines they believe stores data gathered by the firm. The raid was reportedly conducted under Cassate's supervision. A representative of the Office of Data Protection Commissioner, or ODPC, told Coindesk he was unaware of any such operation. Last week, the Ministry of the Interior suspended the project's operations in the country, even as Kenya's Minister for the Digital Economy, uh, Elude Ewalo, said the ODPC had been in contact with WorldCoin as far back as April and had concluded that its activities do comply with Kenya's data protection laws. Later in the week, however, the ODPC issued a statement saying that after a preliminary review, it found a number of legitimate regulatory concerns around the project. Authorities in the UK, France, and Germany are also looking into the project. WorldCoin did not immediately respond to a request for comment. So it seems unclear, at least according to this particular Coindesk article, whether a raid actually occurred. However, there are several articles from different outlets that are all saying the same thing, that WorldCoin in Nairobi did indeed get raided by Kenyan police and that some physical materials were seized. I don't really know any more than that. You know, they've, there's not really been any kind of updates as to you know anything about that. But it, it seems clear that that Kenya is not really cottoning to the idea of Worldcoin, and I kind of think it may actually be more about their need to control their economy and therefore their people more than it is saving their people from this scam bullshit world coin that we all know it is right. Sam Altman is not, he's not acting in some kind of altruistic fashion. He's just another crypto bro that's scamming people. And the people that he's scamming are the least, they're the, they're the people that least need to be scammed. They're already poor as shit. 
and offering them some kind of world coin token so that they can scan their irises. And they say they delete the data. I don't buy it. So that data then gets what? Sold, most likely. Kenya's saying that that's what they're trying to guard against. I, you know, Nobody really knows what Kenya's true motives are. It could be that they are being a little trying to say, you know what, man, we don't want our people's eyeballs scanned. Uh, and also, if we allow this shit to continue any further, we might very well lose control of some aspect of our economy. And we're authoritative, you know, authoritative scumbags, so we're not going to let that happen. We don't really know. Honestly, other than the fact that WorldCoin doesn't seem to be very welcome in Kenya, and that's actually the good news. Now, let's jump over to the Philippines. Relying on remittances and left unbanked, the Philippines need Bitcoin's lightning network. Yes, it does. Bitcoin Magazine, Ethan Rose is writing, Recently, Binance, the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange successfully implemented Bitcoin's Lightning Network to enhance the speed and scalability of Bitcoin transactions on its platform. This came after it was forced to halt Bitcoin withdrawals for several hours in May of 2023 due to a sudden surge in transaction volume, which led to an increase in processing fees. This integration for Binance marked a significant milestone as it prompted introductions and deepening talks about the Lightning Network as a long-term solution for managing substantial transaction volumes in the future. The potential for the Lightning Network to counter sluggish transaction speeds and high energy costs also seems to have reached the ears of the executives over at Coinbase. Should Coinbase opt to integrate the Lightning Network into its platform, which CEO Brian Armstrong is hinting that it will, it would follow in the footsteps of Binance and other big exchanges like Bitfinex, Kraken, and Coin Corner. The Lightning Network is a second layer for Bitcoin that uses micropayment channels, which allow for more efficient and less expensive transactions. Essentially, it was designed to solve scalability limits associated with Bitcoin by introducing off-chain transactions. Even when the Bitcoin mempool is full or busy, the Lightning Network is unaffected. As a fairly new technology, the Lightning Network, first proposed by Joseph Poon and Thaddeus Dreija in 2016, has been under development and refinement over the past several years. It is innovative, ambitious, and promising, but it is the rapid and strategic adoption of in unexpected corners of the globe that is capturing the attention of industry insiders. A case in point is the Philippines, a developing nation in Southeast Asia, which is making significant strides in harnessing the power of the Lightning Network to revamp transactions and fortify, ooh, it's bright and shiny, and fortify, where was I? And fortify its financial ecosystem. The Philippines is among the top five countries in terms of remittances received worldwide. In 2022, these remittances reached a record high of $36.14 billion, demonstrating the pivotal role of overseas Filipino workers in supporting the nation's economy. This figure is only expected to grow, with the World Bank predicting remittances to the country could rise by $39 billion by the end of 2023. The integration of the Lightning Network into the country's financial fabric could ease the burden of these overseas workers who often wrestle with high fees and inefficiencies tied to remittances through the traditional financial system. So we all have the same problem. 
apparently. The potential impact of the Lightning Network in the Philippines has become evident with digital payment platforms leveraging this technology, facilitating faster and more secure remittances, primarily from the U.S., which posted the highest share of overall remittances to the Philippines in 2022 at 41.2%, and Canada, which accounted for a mere 36 Moreover, the Philippines is witnessing a burgeoning digital economy, which, according to a recent study, could reach $35 billion in 2025, growing at a 20% annual rate, and could hit $100 billion to $150 billion by 2030. A significant portion of this digital economy is driven by micro, small, and medium enterprises, which serve as the backbone of the Philippine economy where they comprise 99% of business and employ 63% of the workforce. Wow. Despite its considerable size and role, the vast MSME market, that's the micro, small, and medium enterprises, is underserved, marking a technological gap. As it stands, this sector underperforms as it only contributes 40% of the country's gross domestic product, The discrepancy indicates that a significant amount of growth potential remains unrealized, signaling a prime opportunity for further digital transformation. Digitization for MSMEs, however, is only one piece of the puzzle. The next step in their technological evolution could very well be the integration of the Lightning Network into their operations. The Lightning Network has already catalyzed growth for hundreds of small businesses, not just in major cities, but also in smaller provinces as they started accepting and processing Bitcoin payments. This allows them to tap wider customer, specifically foreign tourists, who prefer to spend or pay in Bitcoin. Thus, this revolutionary action is hitting two economies tourism and local entrepreneurship the lightning network is providing instrument or is proving instrumental in unlocking the unrealized potential of these msmes catalyzing their growth and in turn further fueling the digital economy the lightning network is a powerful example of how developing countries like the philippines can just leapfrog traditional infrastructural limitations and harnessing cutting-edge technologies to propel their economic advancements but there's still more to explore in the associated technologies that can make utilizing the Lightning Network easy and effective. One of the most exciting developments is the potential mainstream adoption of tap-to-pay via NFC-enabled cards and mobile phones akin to things like Apple Pay or Google Pay. Likewise, given the popularity of QR code-based payments in the Philippines, the transition towards more advanced contactless transactions seems like a natural progression. This could position the Lightning Network as a better alternative to traditional payment methods like cash, debit, and credit cards, ushering in a new era of convenience for 10 million Filipinos who remain unbanked. With its capacity to facilitate quicker and more affordable transactions, the Lightning Network is well-positioned to democratize access to financial services, laying the foundation for a more inclusive economic landscape. The transformative potential of the Lightning Network across various sectors is clear, but this is not to say that the journey is without hurdles. There are technical complexities, regulatory challenges, and widespread adoption and education concerns that need to be addressed. But if navigated wisely, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network can be potent tools in empowering the Philippines economically, creating a model for other developing economies to emulate. All right, so there's the article. And Lightning Network in the Filipinos is basically the same story you're going to hear 
in with you know any story of lightning network pick your third world or developing nation all right that it's it's going to be the same because they all are basically suffering the same problem many a very large portion of all these countries citizenry are unbanked you they can't use apple pay they can't really use they can't use google pay cuz all of these need to connect to a bank and if you don't have a bank account tough luck you're either cash or you're bartering or you're using something else. And that something else can be Bitcoin. But for these guys that just want to sell, I don't know, a taco, it, an on-chain transaction makes no sense. This is the old coffee argument that Roger K. Ver kept harping about before he tried to destroy Bitcoin and started BCH or Bitcoin Cash, which then morphed or forked again into BCH and that idiot uh, Craig Wright's chain, right? So, but it's, it's the same argument that he had, but now it's, I don't know how much more clear it has to be for people to understand that Lightning Network is working. It, it works. Do, does a payment fail sometimes for me? Yeah. What do I do? Oh my God. What's, oh, the humanity. Oh, the Hindenburg's falling out of the fucking sky. No, you know what I do? I, I make the transaction again. Because the first one failed, it doesn't mean that I, I didn't lose my, my Satoshis. It just didn't send. It couldn't find a route. Do it again. I have never, I, there have been times that I've had to do it four or five times. Yeah, two years ago. Now, I rarely get a failure first uh, on the first go around right there are issues going on with my with getting pod getting boostograms through podcasting 2.0 there are many times that i did not get what fountain app is saying was like a twenty thousand satoshi boost right it it registers on fountain i go to my node because that's where i know that i'm getting boostograms because that's how i've got it set up and i go and i look for that boost by the amount of Satoshis and at the, at roughly the same time, because there's timestamps on the booster grams, no, it's not there. Right. So, but I've like, if I'm just sending like any amount to some other wallet, like a wallet of Satoshi, or I'm sending from wallet of Satoshi over to my lightning network node with its own address, I never have an issue. I haven't had a failed payment in over a year on lightning. So the people that are key, that are still screaming that lightning doesn't work, they're not using it. They don't want it to succeed. That's why they're saying this, this type of stuff. But be that as it may, <clears throat> it will be lightning that goes into the third world and developing countries. That will be the technology that's primarily used. For those people in those countries that start racking up significant amounts of Satoshis to the point that they can start doing things like buying houses because they have a business that was accepting Bitcoin through the Lightning Network, then at that point, car, boat, a house, that's an on-chain transaction that makes sense. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sneeze and you know or or soil my britches because of a fifty dollar fee on a $450,000 house. I'm just not prepared to cry that hard. I don't have that many tears, and I honestly, I don't give a shit. At $450,000 and a $50 transaction fee, are you kidding? Who the hell cares? You're really going to squabble over a $50 fee on like half a million dollar transaction? 
dude, do, do go to Wells Fargo, find out how much that shit cost over there, dude. Uh, anyway, but again, lightning is marching on and carrying Bitcoin right along with it. Right. So it's the developing nations. Those are the most important nations. The third world countries, Latin America, developing nations, the Philippines, Eastern Europe, the Baltics, the Balkans, and all of essentially sub-Saharan Africa and even the Saharan part of the, the, the northern part of the continent. All those countries. These are, these are the people that need it the most. And these are the people that are going to use it the most. Except... We've got WorldCoin in the mix that is essentially targeting the same people. The good thing about Lightning Network is that their t- Lightning Network has no CEO, so there's no targeting. The people that are picking up Lightning are doing it for themselves, by themselves, in the countries that they inhabit. It's organic. WorldCoin is a marketing thing and that's pretty much the story of all altcoins but now let's go over and talk about 140 different countries all at once nick hoffman writing this one for bitcoin magazine bit refill empowers bitcoin and crypto travelers with global eSIM service across 140 countries bit refill a popular platform that sells gift cards for Bitcoin has announced its partnership with eSIM Go, enabling travelers in over 140 countries to pre-purchase an eSIM and have local data available as soon as they arrive per a mass or per a press release sent to Bitcoin Mag. Now, Bitcoin enthusiasts and digital nomads can experience uninterrupted internet access across the globe making jet-setting a breeze. This partnership unlocks a world of convenience for travelers on their journeys. Serge Kotlier, founder and CEO of BitRefill, stated, quote, This service removes a lot of hassle related to travel. You can just get an eSIM from the airplane Wi-Fi, install it in a minute, and be online from the moment your plane touches down on the tarmac without worrying about getting a massive surprise bill from your telco, a telecom company. The beauty of BitRefill eSIM solution lies in its simplicity. Travelers can now acquire their desired plan using Bitcoin or their cryptocurrency of choice and have seamless internet connectivity at their fingertips within minutes. The launch of BitRefill's eSIM service reaffirms the company's commitment to leveraging Bitcoin and crypto for global convenience by spearheading the charge towards a borderless future. BitRefill is helping pave the way for a world where financial freedom is within reach of everyone. Put a tie on the suit speak, brother. But I mean, okay, this makes a, this makes a lot of sense. I just like, if you're on a plane and you're like, I don't know, traveling to like, I don't know, an African country. And you're like, oh shit, I forgot about this. You can just go to BitRefill. You can buy a data plan and have it on your phone by the time you even touch down. There's a lot of people that are doing a lot of traveling and a lot of those people are Bitcoiners conferences they're going to different talks they're you know doing different things these people are going to latch on to this service like i mean it's going to be i think it's going to go and do some really great things i think it's going to be a very successful launch so if you're uh, interested in that just remember it's the bit refill esim esim solution and it looks like uh let's, let's see, see if i can get a uh a price here. What would it cost? What would it cost? What would it cost? What would it cost? Dude, dude, it's not giving me a cost. I was hoping that they, they would like how much, uh, how much 
Satoshis you got to spend for like a, you know, one gigabyte over seven days, but it's not actually showing me uh, an invoice, but whatever. Uh, check it out, lads, and see if you want to use that. <clears throat> now, let's do this one for uh, Bitcoin Magazine. It's being written by Alex Svetsky. He's one of one of my favorite guys that writes uh, in this space. And this one, he's going to be talking about Bitcoin and artificial intelligence. Let's get into how to build your own Bitcoin language model. Language models are all the rage, and many people are just taking foundational models, most often chat GPT or something similar, and then connecting them to a vector database so that when people ask their model a question, it responds to the answer with context from this vector database. What is a vector database? Well, I'll explain that in more detail in a future essay, but a simple way to understand it is as a collection of information stored as chunks of data that a language model can query and use to produce better responses. Imagine, quote, the Bitcoin standard split into paragraphs and stored in this vector database. You ask this new model a question about the history of money. The underlying model will actually query the database, select the most relevant piece of context, some paragraph from the Bitcoin standard, and then feed it into the prompt of an underlying model, in many cases, ChatGPT. The model should then respond with a more relevant answer. This is cool and works okay in some cases, but it doesn't solve the underlying issues of mainstream noise and bias that the underlying models are subject to during their training. This is what we're trying to do at Spirit of Satoshi. We have built a model like what's described above about six months ago, which you can go try out here. And that's here is a link and you can go to app.spiritofsatoshi.ai. That's app.spiritofsatoshi, all one word, .ai and go check that out. You'll notice it's not bad with some answers, but it cannot hold a conversation. And it performs really poorly when it comes to shit coinery and things that a real Bitcoiner would know. This is why we've changed our approach and are building a full language model from scratch. In this essay, I will talk a little bit about that to give you an idea of what it entails. The mission to build a more based language model continues. It's proven to be more involved than I had thought, not from a technically complicated standpoint, but from more of a, damn, this is tedious standpoint. It's all about the data and not the quantity of data, but the quality and format of data. You've probably heard nerds talk about this and you really don't appreciate it until you actually begin feeding the stuff to a model and you get a result, which wasn't necessarily what you wanted. The data pipeline is where all the work is. You have to collect and curate the data. Then you have to extract it. Then you have to programmatically clean it. It's impossible to do a first run clean manually. Then you take this programmatically cleaned raw data and you have to transform it into multiple data formats. Think of question and answer pairs or semantically coherent chunks and paragraphs. This you also need to do programmatically if you're dealing with loads of data, which is the case for a language model. Funny enough, other language models are actually good for this task. You use language models to build new language models. Then, because there will likely be loads of junk left in there and irrelevant garbage generated by whatever language model you use to programmatically transform the data, you need to do a more intense cleaning. 
this is where you need to get human help because at this stage, it seems humans are still the only creatures on the planet with the agency necessary to differentiate and determine quality. Algorithms can kind of do this, but not so well with language just yet, especially in more nuanced comparative context, which is where Bitcoin squarely sits. In any case, doing this at scale is incredibly hard unless you have an army of people to help you. That army of people can be mercenaries paid by someone like OpenAI, which has more money than God. Or they can be missionaries, which is what the Bitcoin community generally is. We're very lucky and grateful for this at Spirit of Satoshi. Individuals go through data items and one by one select whether to keep, discard, or modify the data. Once the data goes through this process, you end up with something clean on the other end. Of course, there are more intricacies involved here. For example... You need to ensure that bad actors who are trying to botch your cleanup process are weeded out or their inputs are discarded. You can do that in a series of ways, and everyone does it a bit differently. You can screen people on the way in. You can build some sort of internal cleanup consensus model so that thresholds need to be met for data items to be kept or discarded, etc. At Spirit of Satoshi, we're doing a blend of both, and I guess we shall see how effective it is in the coming months. Now, Once you've got this beautiful, clean data out of the end of this pipeline, you then need to format it once more in preparation for training a model. This final stage is where the graphical processing units come into play and is really what most people think about when they hear about building language models. All the other stuff that I covered is generally ignored. This is home stretch stage and it involves training a series of models and playing with the parameters the data blends the quantum of data the model types etc this can quickly get expensive so you best have some damn good data and you're better off starting with smaller models and building your way up it's all experimental and what you get out of the other end is a result It's incredible the things we humans conjure up. Anyway, at Spirit of Satoshi, our result is still in the making, and we're working on it in a couple of ways. Number one, we are asking volunteers to help us collect and curate the most relevant data for the model. We're doing that at the Nakamoto Repository. This is a repository of every book, essay, article, blog, YouTube video, and podcast about and related to Bitcoin and peripherals like the works of Frederick Nietzsche, Oswald Spengler, Jordan Peterson, Hans Hermann Hopp, Murray Rothbard, Carl Jung, The Bible, etc. You can search for anything there and access the URL, text file, or PDF. If a volunteer can't find something or feel it needs to be included, they can add a record. If they add junk, though, it won't be accepted. Ideally, volunteers will submit the data as a .txt file along with a link. Number two, community members can also actually help us clean the data and earn sats. Remember that missionary that missionary stage that I mentioned? Well, this is it. We're rolling out a whole toolbox as part of this, and participants will be able to play Fudbuster and rank replies and all sorts of other things for now. It's like a Tinder-esque keep-discard comment experience on data interface to clean up what's in the pipeline. This is a way for people who have spent years learning about and understanding Bitcoin to transform that work into Satoshis. No, they're not going to get rich, but they can help contribute towards something they might deem a worthy project and earn something along the way. In a few previous essays, I've argued 
that artificial intelligence is a flawed term because while it is artificial, it's not intelligent. And furthermore, the fear porn surrounding artificial general intelligence has been completely unfounded because there is literally no risk of this thing becoming spontaneously sentient and killing us all. A few months on, and I'm even more convinced of this. I think back to John Carter's excellent article, I'm Already Bored with Generative AI, and he was spot on. That's really, there's really nothing magical or intelligent for that matter about any of this AI stuff. The more I play with it, the more time I spend actually building our own. The more we realize that there's no sentience here. There's no actual thinking or reasoning happening. There is no agency. These are just probability programs. The way they are labeled and the terms thrown around, which whether it's AI or machine learning or agents, is actually where most of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt lies. These labels are just an attempt to describe a set of processes that are really unlike anything that a human does. The problem with language is that we immediately begin to anthropomorphize it in order to make sense of it. And in the process of doing that, it is the audience or the listener who breathes life into Frankenstein's monster. AI has no life other than what you give it with your own imagination. This is much of the same with any other imaginary eschatological threat the eschatological. I've never seen that word before in my life, but wow. This is, of course, very useful for globo homo bureaucrats who want to use any such tool, program, machine for their own purposes. They've been spinning stories and narratives since before they could walk, and this is just the latest one to spin. And because most people are lemmings and will believe whatever someone who sounds a few IQ points smarter than them has to say, they will use that to their advantage. I remember talking about regulation coming down the pipe. I noticed that last week or the week before that there are now quote-unquote official guidelines or something of the sort for generative AI, courtesy of our bureaucratic overlords. What this means, nobody knows. It's masked in the same nonsensical language that all of our other regulations are. The net result being, once again, quote, we write the rules. We get to use the tools the way that we want. You must use it the way we tell you or else. The most ridiculous part is that a bunch of people cheered about this, thinking that they're somehow safer from the imaginary monster that never was. In fact, they'll probably credit these agencies with saving us from AI because it never materialized. It reminds me of this. And then he posts a picture. So the picture has, it's a picture of a handwritten note in Sharpie, and it says, Awake yet? And then on the note, it says 1960s, oil gone in 10 years. 1970s, another ice age in 10 years. 1980s, acid rain will destroy all crops in 10 years. 1990s, the ozone layer will be gone in 10 years. 2000, ice caps will be gone in, you guessed it, 10 years. None of this has happened, but all resulted in more taxes. That's not, that's, that's totally true. There, this whoever whoever wrote that sign is not wrong. When I posted the picture above on Twitter, the amount of idiots who responded with genuine belief that the avoidance of these catastrophes was the result of increased bureaucratic intervention told me all that I needed to know about the level of collective intelligence on that platform. Nevertheless, here we are once again, same story, new characters. Alas, there's really little that we can do about that other than to focus on our own stuff. We'll continue to do what we set out to do. 
I've become less excited about Gen AI in general, and I get the sense that a lot of the hype is wearing off as people's attention moves onto aliens and, you know, politics. Again, I'm also less convinced that there is something substantially transformative here, at least to the degree that I thought six months ago. Perhaps I'll be proven wrong. I do think these tools have latent, untapped potential, but it's just that, latent. I think we have to be more realistic about what they are. Instead of artificial intelligence, it's better to call them simply probability programs. And that might actually mean we spend less time and energy on pipe dreams and focus more on building useful applications. In that sense, I do remain curious and cautiously optimistic that something does materialize and believe that something in the nexus of Bitcoin probability programs and protocols such as Noster Something very useful will emerge. I'm hopeful that we can all take part in that. And I'd love for you also to take part in it if you're interested. To that end, I shall leave you all to your day and hope this was a useful 10-minute insight into what it takes to build a language model. All right. Again, that's Alex Svetsky, who is waist deep in the generative AI world right now. And he's he's got some very good points. It's... I I think it is transformative, but not to the point that it's like, he's saying that it's not transformative at all. I tend to disagree. I think that there is transformative potential in there. Uh, I just don't think that the transformative part that everybody is scared of is possible. It's not going to take everybody's job. Will it take jobs? It'll take some jobs. Will it take a lot of jobs? Don't know. It will definitely take some jobs. It might very well take a lot. It's not going to take everybody's job, all right? And some of the people that whose job it does take are probably going to be able to retool around using AI for their own purposes and be one of the AI, what, what I'm terming the AI driver. Sort of think of a, a <clears throat> think of a, I don't know, F-16. They're not pilots, they're drivers. It's an F-16 driver. The the machine itself is deadly and scary and can wreak a lot of havoc and 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 do it in with some fairly pinpoint accuracy, but not by itself. And of course, you're saying, "Oh, but David, the drones, the drones." Yeah, I get it. I get it. If we continue to be scared of everything we're told to be scared of then we're always going to live in fear. And the only way out of that is for every single person for themselves to come up with their own answers of what technologies like AI means, how you are going to either use it to your advantage or where you're going to bury your head in the sand and try to ignore it. You can come up with anything like that whole F-16 driver. Yeah, but David, the, the drones and AI is going to be able to fly the plane. Yeah, sure. Okay. Who's going to make the, who, I mean, is it going to, is is it also going to pick the targets? And I don't mean, I don't actually mean targeting the target. How did they get there? Was it an AI that said, you know what, today, I just think we're going to fly over to Ghana. I, I've got some intelligence that, that suggests that there's an armored convoy. No, no. Could it happen? Yeah, in science fiction. But honestly, there's way too many breaks between machine thinking and the machines that can perform the function. 
and the human mind and the human physical body breaks those connections. That's why the human is always going to be important, especially as we enter into more and more of this AI stuff and drone stuff, right? It doesn't always have to be that a drone is armed. However, for whatever reason, we keep that's what we keep seeing. They keep putting 50 fucking caliber weapons on these goddamn dogs from Boston Dynamics. And of course you're going to get scared. Of course you're going to get scared. You know what they're not showing you? They're not showing a flock of land-based drones that are about the size of a dog that are used to corral sheep because you can't afford to train a dog. I mean, sheep dogs, they don't come pre-trained. You got to train them. It's very expensive. It's a very expensive, a very, very expensive. And eventually, you know, you got to train more. Having a whole bunch of drones in the field that can keep an eye on like a, I don't know, a herd of cattle and can move that cattle every single day to fresh grass and keep them there means I don't have to put up fencing. You get it? There, these things can be used for really exciting potential things in, in uh, agriculture, just like they can be done with warfare. But all we're being shown is the shit that scares you to death. All you're hearing about AI is how it's going to steal your job. Of course, everybody's afraid. The media promulgates that, man. It's just fear porn on every channel, on every social media platform. Don't buy into it. Search for your own answers, and you won't have to be scared anymore. Let's run the numbers. Okay, I got West Texas Earl down 1.3% to $83.30. So overall, ladies and gentlemen, oil prices are steadily rising. When they have these spikes, these big, big, you know, big spikes and then these big troughs, prices don't get sticky. When it's a slow grind up, that's when prices start getting sticky. Oil prices are, I don't know, man. We're probably going to see $110, $120 oil again. If we do, and we but we rise to that level over the next couple of years, then those prices remain sticky. And that's not going to help inflation, right? And we've got some inflation news right after this, but let's do the rest of it. Brent North Sea is down 0.82% to 86.83. Natural gas taking a big dump, 5.5% of the downside to $2.79 a thousand. Gasoline down 1.72%. Gold is actually up today a little bit, 0.1% to 19.52.50. Silver's up 0.7. Platinum rocketing up two and a half points. Copper is down a half a point, and palladium is the stealer of the show, 5% to the upside. Most of the agricultural stuff is in the green today. The biggest loser is going to be cocoa, 0.59% to the downside. Biggest winner is sugar, one and a quarter to the upside. I got live cattle up 0.8, lean hogs down 0.6, and feeder cattle up 0.64%. The Dow is up a third on inflation news. S&P also up 0.28%. NASDAQ is up 0.42, S&P mini uh, moving sideways, 0.03 to the downside, so essentially sideways. Now, inflation, CPI print came out this morning. 
So let's do that. We'll break uh, right here and do the Coindesk article. U.S. July CPI matches estimates with a 0.2% monthly growth. All right. Again, Coindesk, <clears throat> Stephen Alpha is writing it. The consumer price index rose 0.2% in July from June, in line with economists' forecast and the same as the monthly growth in June. On a year-over-year basis, CPI rose 3.2% compared with forecast of 3.3% and June's figure of 3.0%. Core CPI also rose 0.2% in July, the same forecast as June's increase. Core CPI in July rose 4.7% from a year earlier versus 4.8 forecast and 4.9% in June. The price of Bitcoin has little changed in the minutes following the U.S. government's report at 29550 The figures may have increased the chances of the, that the Federal Reserve won't raise interest rates at its next meeting in September. Prior to Thursday's CPI release, the CME FedWatch tool show traders had priced in just a 15.5% chance of a rate hike next month. In the immediate aftermath of the report, those odds sank to 10%. The Fed has been tightening monetary policy since early last year to combat galloping inflation, rising, raising its benchmark Fed funds rate target more than 500 basis points over the past 17 months to the current range of 5.2 to 5.5%. The surge in interest rates played at least part in Bitcoin's tumble from more than 69,000 in late 2021 to just above 16,000 at the end of 2022. Continuing rate worries this year are likely a factor in capping Bitcoin's bounce. To the extent that the latest CPI report confirms expectations that the Fed may back off on rate hikes, it could be bullish at the margin for Bitcoin. As measured by the CPI, <clears throat> annual inflation topped out at 9.1% in June of 2022 and has mostly steadily declined since. The core rate peaked at 6.5% in March of 2022 and has dropped as well, though not as dramatically as the headline number. The Fed's target rate for inflation is 2%, always, but members of the central bank have indicated multiple times that they don't need to see that figure before deciding to end the monetary tightening cycle. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to say, I want to say it. I want to make the prediction that it doesn't matter. I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm calling it. They're going to raise rates again, 0.25% uh, in September. I hope I'm wrong, but for some reason or another, my gut check Feel It feels to me that Jerome Powell thinks that he's got this entire thing under control. It's working, right? It's working. And he's just going to double down and he's going to do it again. He doesn't at this point, I've, I've said whether or not he raises or not raises is a sign of weakness or a sign of strength. And this at this particular juncture, he's already filled with him being strong because it's all working, right? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's all bullshit. He's basically, yeah, it's working. When you kick the can down the road, the can all of a sudden is no longer in front of your feet. It's down the road. If by kicking the can down the road is quote unquote working, well then, yeah, I guess you're right. But all this shit comes by, comes back to bite us in the ass, whether it's one year from now, 10 years from now, doesn't matter. None of this actually is working. It's just the only lever that he has. The other thing is, I think Jerome Powell really needs to put the hurt 
on any of the weaker banks that were already struggling. And there's been several downgrades. Moody's came out the other day and downgraded 10 United States banks. And some of them are big. Some of them are big banks. And I mean, we already saw, uh, what was that? A U.S. bank. I can't remember what it was. It was like a week ago. There was major loss in share price of a particular bank that was very, very large. After these, after the Fed rate hike, about a week later, you know, two weeks later, we started seeing Moody's doing things like downgrade. Actually, about three, three and a half weeks, Moody's start downgrading ten United States banks. Why? Because they hold Treasury bills or the T bills or bonds, Treasury bonds, bills, whatever you want to call them, the thirty year, the five year, the ten year, the two year. They've got them all, and that's what they're using to say this is our asset. This is how much money we have. Yeah, but when you raise the rates, then your underlying asset, the principal, decreases. And all of a sudden, if you need cash really fast for liquidity purposes and you sell those bonds before the maturity date on the open market, they're not going to pay you what you paid for them. So you're automatically going to take a loss. So even if you sell them or you don't sell them, you got to write that shit down on your books. So now you don't have as much money as you thought you had every single time Jerome Powell gets up in front of the fucking podium. What I mean, and I get the feeling that after that Moody's downgrade, I think Jerome Powell is going to go, yep, and we're going to do it again in September, and we're going to shake out all this dead wood. I don't honestly think that this is a good idea at this point. Because at this, you're just consolidating everybody's wealth, all the citizenry's wealth in the United States, and many of, of abroad that do banking in the United States, you're consolidating those customer bases to ever larger banks. And we all know what happens with centralization. This is not good. It's just it's just not good. All right, so what do we got here? We'll go ahead and skip that one. Let's just get into Clark Moody. We've got a $572.2 billion market capitalization for Bitcoin. That is 4.42% of gold's market cap. There are 19,453,118 BTC in circulation at this present time, and 4,707.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at roughly $138 million, running over 16,317 nodes, sporting 68,695 payment channels. 73% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Mempools are getting a little packed. We're looking at about 135 blocks carrying 396,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with high priority transaction fees of 17 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority, you can squeak in at 10 Satoshis per V-byte. But if you've got anything in mempools uh, under 5.44 Satoshis per V-byte, your transaction is most likely going to be purged. And I have been completely purged out of the top 25 in the fountain charts. That's right. The Bitcoin and podcast has fallen off a cliff again. So here I am asking yet again, help me get back into the top 10 guys. Uh, and Henry GQJ really helped. And Henry, I did get your 20,000 Satoshi uh, boost. Thank you very much. Last I heard, Jack Ma went into hiding in Tokyo after investing a significant amount of his money in Space Jam NFTs. If you want to check the source, go to OXO.com and you will see it in all gravy. Bubba, haven't heard from you in a long time, dude. Congratulations on getting back to getting back 
Thank you again for your 5,000 Satoshis. And I have totally missed seeing you on various platforms. Bubba, he says, back on the road. Didn't listen to a thing all summer. It was kind of bliss. Good to hear you, though. Well, it's good to see you, pal. Wartime Psycho with 5,000 says, thanks. Nick underscore dose with 1369 says, cheers. Jen in Indy with 1,000 says, boost and keep up the good work. Dubrovko with 1,000 says, totally on brand for politicians to shout that, quote, we have to stop these scoundrels from breaking and skirting these rules, not paying their fair share, costing you and I money, end quote, before the rules are even published. People that say these things or these types of things are about two steps away from calling for violence to a specific domestic people or group. Be warned. Agreed. Dude. Chaos underscore chicken with a thousand says your show has turned into my daily listen. That's awesome, dude. Dubrovko comes back and replies. Agreed. Yegro with 769 says appreciate you. Nope. Not as much as I appreciate you. Monard with 500 says thanks. Pies with 420 says top 10 LFG. Black Card Biz with 210 says all sats matter at allsatsmatter.com. <clears throat> That's allsatsmatter.com. Axelrod with 100 says beat that pie. Thank you, but we can't go lower than 100. User with a shit ton of numbers with 100 says thanks for the great show. Pies with 100 sats says I feel blessed to be thought of. As part of this amazing and informative Bitcoin show you produce, sir, thank you. You mentioning me put a smile on my face after a long day of jackhammering at work. God bless. And pies with a hundred also says, thank you, sir. No, thank you, sir. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Binance has now become the first fully licensed crypto exchange in El Salvador. <clears throat> this is directly from Binance.com's blog. So if you want to go read it, it's Binance.com forward slash English forward slash blog. in for English, by the way. Binance is pleased to announce that it has become the first fully licensed crypto exchange in El Salvador after being granted both a Bitcoin services provider license by the Central Reserve Bank and the first non-provisional digital asset service provider license by the National Commission of Digital Assets. The milestone achievement represents another step in Binance's ongoing efforts to get local licenses and permissions in key markets. With this, the company has approvals and registrations in 18 markets worldwide, including France, Italy, Spain, Sweden, and Dubai, more than any other crypto exchange. Min Lin, Binance head of Latin America, commented, quote, We are honored to be granted this license as Binance continues to work collaboratively with regulatory agencies around the world to support global standards for the Bitcoin or sorry, the crypto and blockchain industry. This announcement comes after many months of dedication from our team. Yada, 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 blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. Let's see if there's anything else. Daniel Acosta, Binance general manager for Colombia, Central America and the Caribbean said, quote, these licenses allow Binance to expand the products and services offered, including options tailored to the needs of our customers in El Salvador. It's a great opportunity to collaborate closely with the government. El Salvador became the first country in the world to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender in 2021. So Binance, it was just, it was only a matter of time before Binance ended up in El Salvador. That's 
really because Binance has closer relationships to some of the key players in El Salvador than I think many people realize. I'm not going to name names, but there are some things that I do know that other people don't know. This was inevitable. Binance going to El Salvador was absolutely inevitable. And you would think that they wouldn't give a shit, but there are also no fools. The El Salvador market, think about that. Trading, crypto trading in El Salvador. Oh my God, the volumes. Yeah, not going to be there. So the question becomes, why is Binance there? Because they want a foothold in Latin America, dude. They've already got Europe sewn up, right? They don't need that shit. South Korea and all that kind of stuff, That's they're, they're well-placed. Let's just say that. Where they're not well-placed is Africa, and they're not well-placed in Latin America. Until now, Latin America, they've got. Start watching Africa and see what Bitcoin or Bitcoin, what Binance does over in Africa, because that will also be fairly important. Love them or hate them, CZ is going to play a role in the future of Bitcoin in Latin America, whether you like it or not. Why? Because he's there and he knows everybody. He's got really tight connections with some of the key players that have been cruising down to El Salvador. It's just, like I said, not going to name names. You can just visualize that for yourself, but it's probably more than just a couple of people. Actually, not. it's not, it's more than the couple of people that you're thinking of. There's more. I I know it. So just, just be aware that Binance is, is looking at Latin America the way I look at Latin America in the future of Bitcoin. It's going to be important. Very, very important. Now, What's where are we at here? Yeah, let's go ahead and we'll ditch that one. And I want to do this one from Derek Ross. This is a note on Noster. What are zap razors? Well, I'm glad you asked. Zap razors, zap razors are fundraisers over Noster with zaps. Simple, right? We're already being social together on Noster. Bringing a fundraising mechanism into play makes it fun and transparent for all. We can raise funds for causes that the community deems worthy of their zaps. Nostrich love. Nostriches care. Nostriches help one another. Zap raisers make sense. Now, there's no real... He he hasn't given like a link to yet another Nostra client that's doing this. What he's suggesting is that somebody writes a note and says, I'm raising funds for this. And hopefully in that note, there's a lot of information and a lot of personal vetting that you allow people to be, you know, you're transparent about yourself and your intentions. And you kind of got to prove that you're not just going to abscond with all the stoshis, but that note becomes the fundraiser and you don't need a separate place to go like geyser fund. I like geyser fund. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on Geyser Fund. I'm just saying when you have an open protocol like Noster, th- this is what you get. You get people with imagination saying, well, wait a minute, why would I want to build a whole website when I can just I can just post a note and ask for zaps on that note? And honestly, it's brilliant because it leverages exactly what we already have. We don't need anything more. The only problem with this is the vetting and the due diligence that one might want to do before they hand over their hard-earned Satoshis to somebody they've never met and they don't know anything about the project. 
They don't know if the project is real. They don't know where the, if the funds are going to be given there. So if you're going to use a note as a zap raiser, then we have to look at the note and say, how, what information needs to go in here that gets people 80%, 95% over the line to where they can, they can trust that what I'm doing is real. That's a question for each individual zap raiser. But I'm just giving that out there because this is the kind of imagination that other platforms, you'll never be able to do that on Twitter. You'll never be able to do it on Blue Sky. You won't be able to do it on threads, Instagram, TikTok. You just, it's not. They're going to want to cut. And then because their ass is going to be on the line for liability, they're not going to let you do it anyway. So Zap Razors are definitely the way to go. Also remember Geyser Fund, okay? Because that is a platform. They do take Bitcoin to, to raise funds. But like like CryptoZilla says, he describes Derek Ross's idea as like Geyser Fund, but directly inside Noster. Nice. That's sort of what we're all talking about here. So don't sleep on how much can be done with Noster, all right? It's not just what you think it is. And it certainly isn't what I think it is. And I think that it's pretty huge already. And I get the feeling that I haven't scraped the surface. This is Web 3.0. If you really want to get into it, the protocol of Noster, especially combined with Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, that's Web 3.0, even though that's all bullshit. But if anybody was ever going to sell you on what the web can become, this is what the web is becoming. This is how we're going to transform everything is by using open protocols and allowing those open protocols to unleash our imaginative potential, just like Derek Ross did. Now, Stacker News has added Noster login, Zap, Metadata, and more. That's right. This is no bullshit Bitcoin, nobsbitcoin.com. Noster login. You can now log in with Noster and link Noster as an auth method to your account if you have lost or if you have a Noster browser extension installed. Uh, Noster Zap metadata and notifications. When your wallet receives a Zap, a Noster Zap, we link to the inpub of the Nostrich that zapped you and the note that was zapped and also include a Zap message if there was one. We recognize Zapple Pay Zaps and correctly link to the zapping Nostrich. This was requested by Super Testnet and refined with feedback from Nerd to Ninja. Proper usage of singular and plural unit labels everywhere. We highlight new comments when you return to a thread now. It also has a new indicator badge that doesn't cause layout shift. We do a better job highlighting replies and threads when you click on them and, uh, and or click on them from notifications. Uh, we made dark mode slightly less dark for readability and lots of stackers hate it. <laughs> All right. So the reason I'm bringing you this is that yesterday I went and checked stacker news after being away for all of five days and everything looked different. Well, I take that back. It looked, everything looked the same, but I, but I saw a whole bunch of purple ostrich, you know, icons out to the side of, uh, on all the, from the people that zapped me. And that did not used to be there before. And all of a sudden, now I know why. I did not realize at the time when I was looking at it last night after we got in that I could also now use my Noster login. So I'm definitely going to be playing with that later. And finally, what do we got here? We've got uh, the Noster report is announcing 
well, there's an announcement from Hoddle Hoddle. And their announcement reads thusly, announcing at Nostra Report, being an official media partner for Baltic Honey Badger 2023, the team is going to cover all Nostra-related content in Riga. Get ready for Nostra talks, panels, workshops, and parties. We are three weeks away. God dang it, I wish I could go. I really, really, that's, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't get really excited about, you know, the, 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 Bitcoin magazines thing because it's so big. I just don't want to go to anything that big, but like BitBlock Boom and all the stories that I hear from that come out of Riga make that be the only reason that I would even go and fly across the Atlantic is to go to the Baltic Honey Badger. That's the only reason I would go. Congratulations to the Nostra Report for now teaming up with Hoddle Hoddle. Um, I get the feeling they're going to send Mars over there. If you're not following the Noster report and you're on Noster, I kind of don't know what's wrong with you. Rectify that situation today, please. Uh, and tell them that the Bitcoin and podcast sent you. Uh, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, ending the show with Dad Says Jokes. I recently spotted an albino Dalmatian. It was the least I could do for him. All right, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can uh, throw me down Satoshis through Boostagrams. You can stream Satoshis to the show directly if you're using any Podcasting 2.0 enabled app and there are several of them if you need to find one for yourself just go to newpodcastapp.com that's newpodcastapp.com that is um oh god adam adam curry's outfit because him and his crew are the people that are behind the whole podcasting 2.0 revolution and honestly i i i like that funding model better than any other model if you want to support the show and i need your support i always need your support to keep this thing going Boostagrams and streaming me Satoshi's best way to do it. Also the circle P go buy from the vendors in the circle P I'll, I'll, I put one out nearly at the head of every show, right? Today was maple trade at Bisnerds B I no B E I S N E R D S both on Twitter and on Noster by maple syrup. And he gives me a cut of everything that I sell for him. That's there's no formality. There's no contract. It's a handshake deal. I'm bringing it back, man. We got to bring back the handshake. You know, live live by your word. Give your word that you're going to give me 5 10% of proceeds of everything that I sell in the Circle P, and that's what you do, then we got no problems. I don't need a contract. I don't need negotiations. I, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick to death of it. I watched what the oil industry turned into because that's what my dad did for a living. He drilled oil wells. And he didn't forget to hit oil. That's the old, that's sort of an old oilman's joke. It's like, you just, you, you keep drilling, but don't, you know, you keep working. You work your ass off in the oil and gas industry, but don't forget to strike oil. You have to actually do that part. And that's, that's the, the point that I'm getting to here with podcasting 2.0. Any potential people in the Circle P, that's striking oil for me. If you've got a product or service that you want to get into the Circle P, just Say what? Just say, hey, I will give you a cut of the proceeds. There's no contract. I'm not going to throw you an NDA. I'm not going to throw you a contract. I'm not going to have you talk to a lawyer. I'm not going to do it. One of these days, maybe. 
but now is not the time. And for the foreseeable future is not the time. So I can help you help me help you help me get us both money by getting into the circle P. So do that. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.